Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. Turn with me to Genesis 22. Genesis 22. We'll be looking at the first 14 verses of the chapter, the story of the sacrifice of Isaac. Genesis 22. And uh, whereas last week I ended with the theme, made you guess, the theme of exile, I'm going to start with the theme, and I won't make you guess. Um, Hopefully it's pretty apparent, the theme of sacrifice in this chapter, but um, it wouldn't be a theme if it was only in this chapter. Right? It's a theme because it's woven throughout. Uh, firstly, it's a theme th- woven throughout Genesis, right? The theme of sacrifice. So, as early as Cain and Abel, the division between them started out, the strife started out with who would offer a pleasing sacrifice to God. So, it's as early as Genesis 4. We see it in Genesis 8, when Noah steps off the ark. One of the very first things he does is offers a burnt offering to God. And here in Genesis 22, the word offering, or burnt offering, is used eight times in one chapter, which seems to let us know it's it's of importance. And so it's a theme in Genesis worth noting and stopping at in Genesis 22, but not only a theme in Genesis, but actually a theme in the Old Testament, obviously, the concept of sacrificing. Something interesting I I had learned and thought some on this week was in Leviticus 16, we see God's law on what is called the Day of Atonement, okay, an annual event in which the sins of the people are atoned for. And if you read in God's prescription for Israel and how to live out the Day of Atonement, part of the ceremonial practice would be having two goats. One of them is slaughtered. The other, the scapegoat, is released into the wilderness. That's what would be practiced for a long time for the nation of Israel. Two goats, one slaughtered, one released into the wilderness. I don't think it's a coincidence, though, that Abel was slaughtered and Cain was banished into the wilderness. I don't think it's a coincidence that in Genesis 21, Ishmael was banished off into the wilderness, and then Genesis 22, Isaac is to be sacrificed. It's an interesting theme set in Genesis, propelled into Leviticus 16, that Israel would perpetuate this seeming theme of having two goats, one for the wilderness, one to be killed as a sacrifice. And then, of course, it's a theme all throughout not only the Old Testament, but the whole biblical narrative. When we see Old Testament sacrifices for sin... It is, for the Christian, a small reminder 
Firstly, the price of sin, the wages of sin, as Paul would say it. And it's a reminder of the gracious substitution of Christ on our behalf, right? Anytime we would read in the Old Testament of a sacrifice, we are immediately reminded of the cost that sin bears on our lives and the gracious substitution of Jesus on our behalf. All sacrifices foreshadow and point to the greater accomplished work of Jesus on the cross. So this concept of sacrifice, starting as early as Genesis 4, weaves itself not only through the rest of the book of Genesis, but into the Old Testament and on into the New Testament, finding its point at Christ on the cross. So I'm going to hunker down a little bit in Genesis 22 as this theme is heavy in this chapter. And I want to tell you a little bit of how I want to walk through this text, okay? Don't get anxious, but I have six points from it, okay? Not three, we're going to double it. Six, but six quick points. And I'll call three of them gospel pit stops. I called Sarah before service tonight and I said, help me with how to phrase that, and she came up with pit stops, and we're going for it. What I mean by pit stops is, if you're going on a trip, on a, on a drive, and you see something worth observing, and an exit saying, next exit, you can see this, what do you do? You take a pit stop, you, you get on the off-ramp, and you take some time to observe and admire that thing. Well, In this story, as we walk through Genesis 22, I think there are three of the six points, three gospel pit stops. We have to off-ramp from the narrative just for a minute to observe the glories of the gospel foreshadowed in the narrative. And so, three of the six points are gospel pit stops, and then the other three are acts of obedience, Acts of obedience. And each act of obedience is always immediately after a gospel pit stop. Okay, so you're like, oh my goodness, what are you, (laughs) why are you getting into this? Just get into the narrative. Well, that's worth noting that it's not front-loaded with the gospel, and then the rest of the narrative is all about obedience, Rather, it's gospel obedience, gospel obedience, gospel obedience. And, and I hope that my goal is that we would let the rhythm of this passage become the rhythm of our lives. That's why I want to take time to just note this. May the rhythm of that passage become the rhythm of your life. Life should be a regular experiencing and remembering and reflecting on God's grace in your life. And then immediately after that, promptly following it by lived obedience. And so that's what this text does. Gospel pit stop immediately followed by a response of obedience, and I think, (coughs) excuse me, that's how our lives should be lived as well, 
to that rhythm. <clears throat> so with that precursor um, explanation, let's jump right into the six points that we have, and uh, we'll read the narrative as we go. We're going to start with a gospel pit stop <laughs> before the story even starts. Let's read the first two verses here in Genesis 22, verses 1 and 2. This is what the Word of God says. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, hopefully it doesn't take too much searching to see the gospel pit stop in that text. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And so, when we hear this, if you have grown up in church, I think some verses from the New Testament should be rattling around in your brain. John 3.16, God so loved his son that he gave God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. I should know that passage. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That should be rattling in our brains when we read Genesis 22. Take your son, your only son. Or Matthew 3, 17, where it records the baptism of Jesus. And when he gets baptized, God the Father from heaven says down, this is my son whom I Love with him, I am well pleased. That should be rattling in our brains as a New Testament reader of Genesis 22 when he says, Take your son, your only son, whom you love. And then I think as a New Testament reader, knowing the end story, how it goes with Isaac and the substitutional ram, we quickly need to be reminded that God didn't actually make Abraham sacrifice his only son whom he loves. But may we never forget that God actually did have to do it himself. He sacrificed his only son whom he loved for the salvation of you and I. It's a gospel pit stop. I want to get on the on-ramp, back onto the interstate, Keep reading the story. We're only going to make it one verse, though. Read with me verse 3 now. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose, and he went to the place of which God had told him. Abraham rose early in the morning after receiving that instruction. Take your son whom you love and sacrifice him. The next sentence records Abraham rose early and he went and did it. Now, let's remember some context here. Genesis 22 wasn't written in a bubble. You've got 21 chapters of context. So, let me help us get the framework of what Abraham's called to do. Obviously, we know If you're a parent here, you can sympathize the weight of the call to sacrifice your son. You just can't even fathom it. But then add on top of that, that Genesis chapter 12, God promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. 
Genesis 15, God reiterated this promise and said that Abraham would have offspring like the sand and the stars. Genesis 17, God promised to give Abraham his generations or his descendants through Sarah specifically. Genesis 18, God promised that Abraham's descendants will surely come through Isaac. Genesis 21, God promised that Abraham's lineage would surely, without a doubt, be from Isaac. And now Genesis 22, God tells Abraham to kill Isaac when he's a young boy. Taking that context, I think it would be completely reasonable in Abraham's fleshly, sinful state to be like Jonah and run the other direction. And if, if not that, at least be like Gideon, who just, God, come again? Can you uh, send me another sign to just clarify that's what you're asking, right? If not Jonah, then at least be Gideon. But no, Abraham was simply obedient without any hint from the text of hesitation. That's the first act of obedience, and it's followed by another gospel pit stop in the next verse. Let me read verse 4. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place from afar. Gospel pit stop number two. Get off the interstate. (laughs) It's so easy to quickly read over that. I know I do, but notice it's on the third day. So Abraham, with his two servants and his son, have been traveling for three days, two days at least, two and a half days, to where God has instructed. Could you just imagine? I mean, just put it in your framework. Like, who gets grumpy on their car rides? When you're long traveling through the country, grumpy when you got a 17-hour day of driving? Yeah, imagine walking knowing that you're going to kill your son. And Abraham, what's wrong? Like, don't even ask me that question, right? So, two and a half days of this, they get there on the third day. And the third day, Abraham lifts up his eyes and he sees the place from afar. He sets his eyes on the place he's going to kill his son. Today's the day. There it is. It's right there. And in Abraham's mind, this third day would be the worst day of them all, a day of death. But as you and I know, it doesn't end up being a day of death. This third day ends up being a day of life and salvation in Abraham's life. It's that third day that he was grieving, but by the end was celebrating. What a gospel pit stop! For the New Testament reader especially, right? Disciples were still grieving the death of Jesus on this third day. But the third day proved to be a day of new life and resurrection. And it immediately is followed by an act of obedience. So he sets his eyes up, sees the place that he would be sacrificing his son. And let me read verse 5. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now, firstly, 
Hmm. That last part, I and the boy will come again to you. Something's going on here. We, I think, can rule out that Abraham has amnesia of what he's about to go do. So either he is lying to his servants so that he doesn't have to deal with them arguing with them, or he has faith legitimately Isaac's coming back with him. How could Abraham say this? And I think we don't have to speculate. We can read in Hebrews chapter 11 when we see by faith Abraham. We can see that he did in fact have faith that his son would be resurrected. I think we have it. Hebrews chapter 11. Do we have it, Hannah? Okay, Hebrews 11. Let me turn there really quick. That is quite all right. Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall be your offspring be named. Verse 19, he considered, that is Abraham, that God was able even to raise Isaac from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So he did. He had faith that God would, after Abraham had to do the gruesome deed of killing his son, God would resurrect Isaac. So that's the first thing. Now, if we jump back to the passage in Genesis 22, verse 5, that's the first thing worth noting. How could he say that he would come back with Isaac? But secondly, the act of obedience is that he would say that they were going to worship What an act of obedience. Just picture with me. God tells him, go and give me a sacrifice. Okay, I can do that. It has to be your son. I think after wrestling with that command, if anybody could ever get to the point of actually doing it, Surely, it's another step to go and say that that was worshiping God. But he did. He said that he would go and he and his son would worship God together. You know, and I think that makes you and I have to not only commend Abraham, but Abraham's not the only one worshiping here. It would be Isaac who would also have to lay on the burn pile and see his dad lift the knife. It would also have to be Isaac knowing that what was taking place. And so, if Abraham is an example for us to follow God's call on our lives, even if it's difficult, I think Isaac is as well, right? I think Isaac is as, as well. And let's not put the cart before the horse, right? Abraham knew that God never promised resurrection. Right? He's hoping for it, but God never promised it. Nevertheless, Abraham was resolved that whether it be in tragedy or in triumph, he will surely worship. 
It wasn't a done deal. Isaac was getting resurrected. He had no assurance, as far as we can tell, that that would be taking place. And yet, he said, nevertheless, I will worship. Wow. Wow, right? I think you and I can learn from that, that we would also be resolved in ourselves that whether it be pain or joy, sorrow or gladness, we are resolved to worship. So that was his act of obedience. Number two, now for the third cycle, gospel pit stop. Number three, let's continue reading in verse six. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took his hand, took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both to them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And Abraham said, Here I am, my son. Isaac said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Could you just imagine being the dad there? Dad, where's the, where's the sacrifice? Could you just imagine like just the knot in his throat and the pit in his stomach? Where's the burnt offering? Or the lamb for the burnt offering? Verse 8, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. I just can't even imagine being Abraham and saying, here I am, son. Here I am, son. Like, could you even imagine looking into his eyes, responding to him, looking even in his direction? Like, I think of Hagar and Ishmael in Genesis 21, where she sits down Ishmael by a tree, and she says, I can't fathom to see my son die. I have to go sit a far way away and just not even look or hear his cries. Right, I can sympathize with Hagar, like I don't want to see that. But then there's Abraham having to get down on one knee and respond to his son when he knows he's the one having to take the knife to him. Can't even can't even imagine that. But the gospel pit stop said he says God will provide for himself the lamb. Praise God. In this narrative, Genesis 22, that is fulfilled. Just some verses later in verse 13. All right? I'll jump there very quickly. Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So when he says to his son, God will provide for himself, a lamb. It was fulfilled in verse 13. But in the narrative, in the grand scheme of Scripture, what Abraham says was prophetically fulfilled in God sending Christ, our spotless lamb. He was speaking prophetically of his Messiah and your Messiah and my Messiah, though he didn't even know it. God will provide for himself the lamb. And then we get to the last act of obedience that I want to look at. We just read verse 8. Let's now read verses 9 through 10. 
says, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, and he laid the wood in order to bound Isaac, his son, and he laid him on the altar. It's getting real for Isaac, right? He laid him on the altar, on top of the wood. I think Isaac's starting to get an idea of what's happening. Verse 10, then Abraham reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slaughter his son. Abraham took the knife to slaughter his son. Surely Abraham had hope for one thing taking place, but yet he was willing to do another if that be the case, if that be God's will, right? He was hoping for his son not to die, but he was willing to follow through if that be God's desire. And even then, unsure of resurrection. I think you and I, wow, just reflecting on that act of obedience. I think to apply that to your life, apply that to my life, to think that we can pray and hope for all the time that God would do something. God, take this trial from me. God, take this cup from me. God, may you change the circumstances, right? We can hope like Abraham would hope, but at the end of the day, may we still be all right if he says no. Abraham lifted the knife. And unless God intervenes, he's willing to follow through with the tragedy that God called into his life. To fathom that Scripture would call us to do likewise. It's only by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that we could obey. Now, let me just finish the story. That's the three gospel pit stops and the three acts of obedience. But let me read the last few verses here, verses 11 through 14. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. He said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. The angel of the Lord said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and he took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So, Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Well, that's a gospel pit stop. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. This obviously tells you and I something about God. He is faithful. He is compassionate. He is kind. He provides and He meets your needs and He meets my needs. I hope that you personally know this God. Just looking out into the room, I thank God that I know many of you do. He calls us to hard things, but He never does so without also being by our side during it. He's a good God. But this doesn't only tell us something about God. This tells us something about Abraham doesn't it? He was consistently obedient. Consistently. Look at this with me. Very quickly. 
In verse 1 and in verse 11, we see that he answers the call of God on his life. Okay, so let me throw those two verses next to each other. Genesis 22, verse 1. It says, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham! And he said, here I am. Then verse 11 As he has the knife lifted in the air, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and he said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Consistently obedient, he answered the call of God. It's the same action. The first time, he answers the call of God to a very difficult command to go and kill his son. The second one, he answers the call of God to be freed from that task. I think there's reflection for you and I, whether God's calling on us to do something very difficult, an impossibly hard task, or He's calling on you to give you relief and freedom. May we always respond and say, God, here I am. Here I am. Because that is what consistent, consistency looks like. It's not the only thing that he was consistent with, though. Certainly him saying, here I am, but also him lifting up his eyes. I think there's something worth noting there. In verse 4 and in verse 13, we see that. I think, that's, I think we're able to throw that up next to each other. Verses 4 and 13. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place from afar. Okay? The third day, he just traveled there. He sees the place where he's going to kill his son, and he lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place from afar. Then, verse 13, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. Same action. The first was to see where he would be fulfilling a very difficult call in his life, and the second one was to see that his son would be spared, and he would continue to live with his son. I think, again, a lesson for you and I is whether it be to see the difficult road ahead or the joy ahead. May we lift up our eyes and trust God in it. So, a couple minutes, this is what I want to do. It's not a normal way for me to end a sermon. But in reflecting on this, I want us to take a minute to reflect on the gospel that was presented tonight. And I want to do that by just encouraging you, maybe 30 seconds or one minute, would you be willing to just join me in personal prayer to reflect on that? that and, and this is the gospel points, the three points that I mentioned, that God sent His only Son, the Son whom He loves, to be our sacrificial Lamb who would rise to life on the third day that we would have life with Him. That's all New Testament rooted in Genesis 22 that we might soak it up. And so would you just spend a minute with me? Personal prayer. Praying to God and thanksgiving for the gospel that we have. And then I'll I'll lead us out in prayer uh, after that. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com. 